and welcome along to the latest edition of the Kids Media Club podcast. My name's Joe Redfern, I'm Global Brand Director and my co-host today is Andy. Hi, I'm Andy Williams, Producer and Creative Director and on today's episode we are really excited to have Linda Semensky, Head of Animation and Scripted Content at Duolingo Studios. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. First of all, thanks very much for being a guest on our podcast, Linda. And um, for the benefit of our listeners, would you be able to give us a quick introduction in terms of your role and your career up to date? Sure, sure. So do you want to hear about my my career up to date first or do you want to hear about my new job? Yeah, a little bit of your background would be great. Okay, sure. So um, I started out, uh, I had... Uh, a programming job at Nickelodeon. So I was at Nickelodeon back in the uh, mid and late 80s, where I was working in the programming department doing the scheduling. Uh, I was an animation fanatic. So I talked about animation all the time. And when Nickelodeon started uh, thinking about uh, doing animation, uh, I was able to move into that department. I was the second member, and we developed a whole bunch of pilots, including uh, shows like Doug and Rugrats and Ren and Stimpy. And I was at Nickelodeon um, in the animation department until 1995, when I uh, headed over to this new upstart channel called Cartoon Network. And uh, I moved over there as a a programming person and sort of uh, helped them build the the, the in-house animation development. And from there we went on to start up the studio and uh, do a whole bunch of different things there. Uh, Worked on all of the shows from Dexter and Johnny Bravo and Cow and Chicken all the way up through, uh, I think when I left, we were doing Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends and um, uh, Justice League and uh, a couple other new shows that I I didn't really get to work on. And then we, uh, then I I moved over to PBS Kids, which I think surprised a lot of people in the industry because, uh, you know, I think to the average person, I had dedicated my life to comedy and nothing else. So it was a little shocking when I made that move, but it, was in tandem really with having a three-year-old at home and watching a lot of what he was watching and thinking a lot about what he would like and what he would want to see, plus what I would like for him to be seeing. And uh, so my son had a a lot of impact on my decision to move over to PBS and also a lot of uh, impact on the sorts of uh, projects that I developed. And and best of all, on my knowledge of how young kids operated and what they wanted and what they were interested in and how they learned and how they looked at things that got me very interested in that part of programming. And uh, I, so I was at PBS Kids for 18 years and um, I uh, shocked everybody again by uh, deciding to do something else. But I'm, uh, you know, in my in my uh, heart, I am really sort of a builder. I get the most excited about things that are starting up. I like figuring things out. I like um, trying to set up a process somewhere where they've never had a process for something before. And 
I felt like uh, I was I was hearing the the call to go to Duolingo because they were getting into animation in ways that I thought were fascinating. And I, I really, I liked Duolingo as a user that I think it starts there. Uh, I learned about Duolingo. I'd heard of it, but I learned about it really from my daughter who at the time was about 15. And we were sitting at the dinner table and she said, I'm a total Lily. And I didn't know what she was talking about. And I, I said, what show is that from? And she said, oh, it's not from a show. It's from Duolingo. And I said, the language app? And she said, yeah. And I said, they have characters? And she said, they have animation. You'd like it. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, so that was, that was, and, you know, I, various family members had been using Duolingo. So I just had sort of, you know, like not really thought much about that. I was busy, you know? <laughs> so I, uh, so I, upon hearing there was animation there, I, I signed up and started, you know, trying to revive my Spanish and sure enough, there was the animation and there were the characters. Mm -hmm. And I was really intrigued because I thought the animation was really good. And it was really very simple and basic. They have these little moments in the, uh, in the app where the characters, you know, you do five uh, uh, exercises and they, you know, come out and give you a little celebration video and, and, and then you do some more and they do the same, you know, other characters come out, do that. And, uh, and then the, you know, then there are these little stories that you can read and they're about the characters. And my whole family has joked about a lot of the stories because they thought they were really sort of quirky and funny. And, and, and so I was like, okay, I'm going to finally get to read those stories I've heard them talking about. And, and they're little character driven stories about those characters that you see and, and they were funny. And so I, uh, I started getting interested just in Duolingo overall. How did they make this animation? Who was involved with it? And, you know, so I started, you know, re reading up on them and the big idea behind Duolingo is uh, to develop the best education uh, in the world and make it universally available. And of course that's through apps. And then to reduce economic inequality by way of education. And I thought, wow, you know, that's really similar to what we do at PBS. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it, I, I had not realized they were as mission-based as they were. And, uh, and, and so I read up on, they're actually very transparent. So I was able to read up a lot on how they had developed the characters and, and all of that. And it got me very interested in that, uh, in, in, in the whole process. And then I got a call about, about a job. And initially the job was just a, um, it was a head writer position, but I, I did talk to the, um, I just wanted to meet the guy in charge of the content because I thought that would be, you know, like I was thinking, oh, maybe we'll find a way to work together. And so I started talking to him and he just completely sold me on the company and, and the sorts of things they were doing. And they were getting more into animation and more into using uh, characters for storytelling, both of which really interested me. And we just started talking about the kinds of animation and animation related things they were doing and the different apps they were thinking about and the different ideas. Um, and uh, my boss, whose name is Tim Shea, he's sort of a, a, an idea machine. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
he reminded me a, a, a tiny bit of Mike Lazo, my old boss from Cartoon Network, who uh, who is a genius and a, a really amazing thinker. And I thought, wow, you know, it'd be fun to be around someone like that again. And, uh, you know, someone where you just like you follow them around all day and they just have an idea every five minutes. And, you know, your job is just to kind of sort through them and figure out what you think can work. So I was intrigued by that. And the companies just sounded really interesting. And, and so that's, that's what led me to it. So in that job, uh, which is, um, I'm in charge of the, uh, the scripted content and animation uh, from not from the, the making of its side, really more from the, the uh, developing it and, and, and writing its side. Um, I, uh, I am working now on those stories, on finding writers for those stories, and uh, also developing the characters. When I got there, they had a, a character bible that was that was pretty good, but there were things that I I just didn't know about the characters, and I had a lot of questions. And so we worked on. It turned out that the people who had developed the characters knew them really well, but it wasn't all in writing. So I, I tried to get a lot of that down on paper for them. And, you know, we talked about things like the characters' motivations and the characters' challenges. And once we had that in place, it it seemed like, you know, okay, it would be easier to write for these characters now. So I've been working on those stories and then figuring out uh, ways to use those characters in other projects. And one of the projects that was already going on that I have uh, since joined is uh, a, a series of culture shorts where they are uh, intended to um, speak to people. In this case, the first set we're doing are about things that are not just in language, but sort of in language and culture. Like uh -huh. the idea that, um, like how time works in Latin America, that, you know, getting somewhere like on time is not as important as it is in, in certain other countries. So why is that? Or how there are different words for the same thing in, you know, different regions, mm. or, um, you know, how you might uh, add ito to a word, uh, you know, to, to, you know, to do what, you know, what's known as a diminutive, you know, yes. and, and, and why that's so prevalent in Latin American language and how people use that. And, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's sometimes it's, it's to be nice, you know, like, mm -hmm. like there are, there are reasons behind things in language uh, like that. So, so uh, we're working on those and then working on lots of other different things for different apps and working on ideas for things and, and trying to figure out how to get them done. We're not a broadcaster. We're not an animation studio per se. So figuring out all the different ways to get things done. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. Thank you. And, and that's, that leads me perfectly into um, to, to my question in terms of that that content that you're creating. And I really love the idea of, of creating the, the cultural animations, actually, which is really interesting mm -hmm. because I studied Spanish at university. So I know what you mean when you say about the use of Ito. <laughs> But actually putting that in context and, and explaining it a little bit about how in culture it might be used as something that's, you know, kind of uh, as an expression of fondness for someone or something. It right. is really important right. in understanding how to use it properly. So that's great. Bravo with that. Um, but my, my question, just following up on your final point there was um, 
you're not a broadcaster, which is, is right, but you're creating this content. So where do you see this content as being distributed? Obviously, there's a use for it within the app, but how outside of the app do you envisage it being used, particularly on things like social media platforms, which you've had much success on lately? Right, right. Well, that's you, you've nailed it. So mostly we are thinking about the app and what are the things that we can do to help people not just learn the language, but learn about how to use the language and, and to learn these interesting things about the language. And so, so it's all, you know, to make the experience on the app more fulfilling and more useful. But in addition to the app, also using this content on things like TikTok, you know, in, in you know, different social media platforms, uh, you know, wherever our audience is to try to, you know, get content there. And uh, it, it's, it's interesting because there are no rules and there are no requirements. So you can look at, you know, okay, what, what platform is right for what sort of message or what platform is right for what sort of content. And so these culture shorts do work for social media and uh, will be able to go in a lot of places. And, uh, you know, well, we will probably, you know, as we have more of them and we, as we roll them out, probably come up with some sort of strategy about where they'll go and where they'll go after. But they will be in the app and they will be part of the experience of, you know, you do a few exercises, you, you know, learn some things, you do some speaking and then you watch a video and mm. you know, and then maybe you answer a question about it. I, I, you know, that all remains to be seen. but. Um, yeah, there are a lot of different ways to do that. And uh, it's it's interesting thinking about, you know, something that that lives in an app. But I, I actually think that's where a lot of content is going these days. I think, mm -hmm. um, you know, for so long, you know, it's like you wanted content, you went to TV and, you know, <laughs> and, and that was it. And and, you know, and then it was, well, now there's cable and then, you know, now there are these platforms. But the phone is also, you know, a, a, a bringer of content. So mm -hmm. it's made it much easier to think about uh, an app as, as a way to watch things. And I, I think that's going to become more common. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and I got excited about that idea. And I started thinking, wow, you know, this is, this really feels like the beginning of, of a, a very interesting trend. And, and, I, you know, I was just in, in, in so curious about it. And, and I, and that's part of why I wanted to go work on, you know, work for an app. It just, it seemed, it all seemed very new and hmm. very interesting. So uh, um, yes, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. I, I was wondering in terms of the, the, the content that you are, that you run and that you are in charge of planning the animated unscripted content. So do you, do you have teams in-house that create that for you or do you use external producers well the the creative work in a lot of cases is is done in-house hmm. um, for those culture shorts there is a producer he uh he's involved with you know he works with writers uh the writers are are outside the writers a lot of the writers come from kids tv mm -hmm. um, uh, you know we uh, we were shamelessly plundering uh, the Alma's Way team for writers to, uh, you know, all, all people I'd already just worked with. Um, but uh, 
finding writers who can really, you know, write from personal experience about these sorts of things. And then for the actual animation, we, uh, while we do have animators in-house who work on the app, we don't have the manpower to do all of the, uh, you know, all of the animation that we want to do. Mm. So, so we are working with an outside studio right now on, uh, on, on making these culture shorts and also thinking about, you know, do we want to grow our studio? Should we have a larger studio? That, that was one of the things that, that they had mentioned to me as, as, uh, as they were talking to me early on. And I thought, well, that's a really interesting thing to figure out. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I could imagine a point where we have a, a larger in-house studio and we have, you know, a team of animators, but we just have so much that we're trying to do that I think we'll continue to work with, uh, you know, outside animation studios. And the um, the kinds of animation studios I like working with are, are generally, you know, sort of the the, you know, 10 to 15 or 15 to 20 people size teams where you know they're not working on several series and maybe you know they're they're working on you know like 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 you know they 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 don't have a lot of big distractions and they can work on a smaller project but put a lot of enthusiasm into it i think that's yeah. the the kind of thing i'm i'm looking for and uh i would even imagine that over time we'll start working with more studios internationally you know, I know that uh, uh, Duolingo's worked with uh, studios in London and, uh, you know, they've worked with studios in New York. And I there's a studio in, in Detroit that they work with called Gunner, who does a lot of does a lot of our animation. So I would say that that over time, there will be many opportunities to work with small outside studios, as well as to build the in-house studio. That, that's really interesting. I mean, I um, that leads me on to to my question. And by the way, when you were describing your the background to you starting at uh, Duolingo, I thought that Cartoon Network and PBS, you could see how the, all of that experience seems like it feeds perfectly into kind of your role now, just in terms of education and entertainment. And and I was wondering it, how, what your attitude was in terms of balancing uh, the educational imperative of the content that you're creating with the entertainment side of it and whether that stuff's ever in conflict and how that's how you kind of resolve that. You know, when I got to the industry, there was this sense that, um, you know, educational advisors were evil and that, you know, when you had to make uh, shows with content in them, you know, educational content, you know, that was, you know, a terrible thing. And, and um, I, you know, I worked at, at Nickelodeon and Cartoon Network where, you know, I never had to do anything like that. And I, so I had sort of a dismissive attitude early on about, you know, educational programming. And then I, I started to watch it and I, I thought, well, it really is bad. No wonder people have a bad attitude about it. It's so bland and it's so boring and it's not funny. And when I applied for the job at PBS, I said, you know, I, I think these shows that you make need to be a lot more educational and a lot funnier. And it's interesting to me that a lot of the smartest people I know are also the funniest people that I know. 
and you know they can you know they can do wordplay they can make you know referential jokes they can do things that you know make me think that if we were to make educational programming we could just sort of pull all of that together and it wouldn't really be that hard so what if we made educational programming that was as funny as it could be and everyone, you know, everyone tried to look for some rule that said that, well, if it's educational, it can't be funny. No one could find that rule written out anywhere. Uh, it just, it, you know, it came out of the minds of a lot of, you know, mildly uninspired people who maybe were afraid to combine the two. And I thought, well, what the hell? If this gets me fired, well, then that'll be a funny story. And so I just went for it. And um one of the first shows that came out of that at PBS was Fetch with Ruff Ruffman, which to this day, I think is one of the funniest things I've worked on. And I just kept saying, just, you know, make it really funny, make it really educational. And the producers were like, oh, thank God. And and so I think the two go together so well that that, you know, I've I've never questioned it. I've always felt that, you know, it's it's if if people are are somehow feeling like the two don't go together, don't work with those people because they're uninspired. And um, I think sometimes shows take on a little too much. They try to do too many things and they say, oh, we have so much curriculum we're trying to put in this story that we don't have time for character development or for jokes. Those people should be fired, you know? They should go work somewhere else because that's a pretty bad attitude about a show. Kids love to laugh and they love to learn. So why not put them together? And you know what? A lot of people who are not kids love to laugh and love to learn. So the, the goal of putting the two together, I think, is a noble goal. And anyone who acts like it's hard isn't trying. So that's my feeling about uh, putting educational programming with humor. You know, the two go together very naturally. And, you know, storytelling and content also go together really well. You know, even even math, even math works really well with storytelling. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I think of Odd Squad or Peg Plus Cat, two shows that, that uh, we did at PBS Kids, where it just all came together so naturally. And it, it just made me think, if you really think about what you're trying to do and what you're trying to teach, the humor is just there. And so, and I, I knew from being at Cartoon Network and taking a lot of very funny pitches that were also educational, I knew that it was possible to develop a show that, that did both. So, so for me, Duolingo really is, is just, I mean, part of the reason I should, I should just go back for a minute and say, part of the reason I went to PBS in the first place was I had this theory that this would work and I wanted to see if it actually would. Mm. And then I believe that it did work. And um, I think that's, you know, that is how a lot of people look at, at preschool programming now, like, you know, it can be a lot funnier. Mm. So when I went to Duolingo, it was really thinking, okay, well, we have figured out how to put learning and humor together. And here is a company that believes that humor is one of its cornerstones and learning is another one of its cornerstones. And I thought, well, I'm home. This is great. That's great. I mean, what a perfect answer as well, because um, nothing's more memorable than funny, really. So it kind of makes mm -hmm. perfect sense that uh, humor should be kind of marshaled in the, you know, in the job of helping people learn. Um, my kind of next question that I wanted to just follow up on that is, 
just to talk about how Duolingo creates characters and whether and whether the characters have to whether the whether the kind of possibility that the characters are going to interact with the user uh how that feeds into the kind of character development yeah well that's i mean i showed up at a point where the characters are already developed there's a group of nine different characters used in the app and the way that they created them i think started with the art a lot of these characters were characters who were who were being used as characters sort of nameless characters uh in in the in the the artwork in the illustrations that are used on the app and my understanding of it is that when they decided to move into developing for a while they had they had a process where the sentences were generated by um, AI and a lot of the sentences were turning out to be very strange. And so when they started actually writing the sentences, like having actual people write the sentences, they started uh, bringing the characters in to sort of give the, the, the stories just a little more resonance. So what they did was they, they picked out the characters that they liked the most that they you know wanted to work with and they sort of developed a little world and and you know they they used these characters in it that they gave them names they gave them backstories um they they made sure that they were understandable internationally because you know duolingo is is uh all over the world it teaches you know many different languages in many different languages so it's, uh, you know, we're not just talking about English to Spanish or anything like that. So, you know, making the characters diverse, making them, them, you know, sort of work internationally was sort of built into it early on. And uh, they, they have been working with these characters and trying not to just develop new characters randomly, but really just trying to focus on these characters and making these characters resonate. And that's something I've been working on is doing that. Now, there's also a, 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 an app for kids called Duolingo ABC, um, uh, which is a literacy app, and uh, it's for younger kids. And it, um, it uses these characters as kids. So all of the characters who, who are adults in the app, you get to see them as kids. And, you know, sort of similar personalities, just, you know, doing different things, thinking about different things and, and living in this app. And so, so that's our cast. We, we don't, we haven't been like asking for people to come and pitch to us or anything that's, you know, like if we do that, that will be someday, but it's, it's not something that we're doing now, but we are working with these characters and really figuring out how they interact. A lot of them, tend to get teamed up with with one or two other specific characters and we're starting to think okay what if we had funny combinations of these characters what would that be like so just trying to pull the humor out of different places and figure out you know okay how do these how do these characters fit in with the experience of using the app and how can they be funny and how can you like enjoy these characters and then learn from them by you know reading stories about them. And uh, and a lot of the, the Duolingo um, sort of vibe in general, both the company and the app is it's a little bit quirky. And mm. 
you know, and of course there's also Duo, the owl, you know, the, the mm-hmm. mascot who pops up a lot of the time. And, uh, and he's also, you know, he's, you see him more in various ways on, on other platforms like TikTok and all, but, but, you know, he's, he's very much sort of like that, you know, supportive, uh, you know, friend who kind of cheers you on and, and then reminds you at the end of the day that you need to do your, your, you know, your Duolingo, you know, your, your, your next uh, experience on Duolingo, you know, keep learning, he tells you. Yeah, and, I think- uh, He's, he's a great character, and I, I've particularly enjoyed the content on TikTok uh, featuring Duo. I think if, uh, mm-hmm. if there was an embodiment of, of what Duolingo is about, it is him, actually, in terms of he uh-huh. does embody the fun and the humor, but somebody there who's, you know, your cheerleader and will give you a, a, a little push. And yeah, I think he's, uh, he's really found, found his voice, I guess, if you like, in, in the last 12 yeah. months or so. Um, I wanted to come to you in terms of just to pick up on what you'd mentioned in terms of the changes you've seen in content over your career, uh, in terms of how it can be educational and funny. The education doesn't need to get in the way of good narrative and good characters. Uh, And now, as you mentioned, that's hopped off TV screens and into apps and into things like phones. So uh, building that out, asking you to gaze into your crystal ball a little bit, I guess, um, where do you think educational children's educational content will be in in five years time even that's a great question because i think if i really knew the answer i you know i'd be very wealthy um (laughs) but here's what i've been thinking i uh i've i've been in in kind of a um like a a a mood of 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 thinking about where the industry is going simply because i i found myself writing a chapter for a book on uh, international children's television. And the editor had said to me, you know, I want you to write, uh, we need the history of, of American children's television. And I thought, well, that'll be easy. And, uh, you know, I just finished teaching, uh, I teach uh, animation history at Penn. And I was, I was, I had just finished teaching a children's history of children's television course. And I always end with, you know, where is it going and, and all of that. So I, I, I felt like, okay, this will be an easy chapter to write. But, but then the real challenge came when I realized you can't really just write it, write out the history. You have to have a thesis of some sort. You know, I tell my students with every assignment, I give them a long lecture on the importance of a thesis and I needed a thesis for talking about the history of children's television in the United States. And so I, I, you know, I just kept reviewing the history, looking for like the threads of, of what happened every time it changed, why did it change? And it never changed really because people got together and said, you know, we need to do this differently or kids like this or kids learn this way. You know, it was always companies saying, well, you know, we we are fine with the way things are. And the change would come with a technological shift. There would be Mm -hmm. a technological shift in how people watched content. And that would change the content that was being made. It would be a whole bunch of new people who would come in and say, yeah, we're going to do it differently. And so I realized this. I realized that, you know, all the changes came from technological disruptions. 
And I was very happy to have a thesis because that actually makes, you know, teaching even more fun when you can say, okay, you know, here's how we're going to think about this now. We're going to look at it in, in terms of, you know, these technological shifts. But if you think about it, you know, uh, particularly with animation, you know, you had, you went from people watching in theaters to people watching a very different kind of animation at home on TV. And then you had, you know, TV getting popular and, you know, a certain kind of programming coming along and it didn't change again until, um, you know, until public broadcasting, but then it didn't change again until cable came along. And that's probably what made the biggest difference in kids TV. And then the next big difference in kids TV, uh, the next, the next shift came from streaming. So, you know, like cable was just going to keep doing the same thing, but then streaming came along and changed things and YouTube. And so, so, so I think that, you know, if we apply that, that theory, the, the next shift comes from some technological shifts. Now, perhaps those technological shifts are connected to phones and how people use their phones for viewing content. Uh, I, I think, uh, you know, I think that's what, what I'm kind of betting on is that, you know, the phone or the, you know, the, the device becomes, uh, it's, I mean, it's already become the way most kids are watching TV and, you know, platforms have shifted greatly, uh, you know, over the last few years. And, um, I think, I think that will probably continue. So I think we'll see more of that. Uh, the interesting thing, as I looked at the history, is it's never the older companies, like, you know, having the idea about how to change. It's always a new company coming in mm-hmm. and figuring out how to change. So I think we can also bet on in five years, the biggest thing will be a company we haven't heard of today. Yeah. So, so that's kind of exciting. Um, as far as the actual content, I think... I think all of these different ways of watching content will, of course, lead to there being a lot more content and a lot more specific content, a lot more focused content. And I think that I think that a couple of things are going to happen. One is I, I keep thinking um, people are going to try to make sense of the world for kids. And, you know, you'll start to see. I think you'll start to see everybody start working on more news for kids and more programming about things like climate change, things that that kids are pretty concerned about right now. Um, And I think you'll see more kids making programming about things that kids are concerned about. And I think you'll see more fighting. I mean, I, I think you will see more people being concerned about this kind of programming. You know, I, I think I think that there will be a lot of adults that are up in arms about either what people are making for kids or letting kids make. I think they'll be, you know, it'll just get wrapped into the culture wars. And uh, until that gets sorted out, I think that's going to keep getting more complicated. But uh, I think you will see more kids getting their voices out there in in longer ways than just TikTok, things yeah, like that. Absolutely. And, so there'll be, of course, you know, now there's starting to be more variety, more programming for different ages, you know, more programming for teens. Um, and I, I think in doing all that, you'll start to see more, um, you know, deeper things. I think kids will will start to want more 
more and more deeper programming. Uh, I think, you know, we'll start to see a lot more live action, a lot more nonfiction, um, you know, and a lot more kids making that. I think there will be a lot more bad programming, unfortunately. I think that, you know, uh, in, in with all of these different opportunities, I think, you know, people will just not put the time in, you know, a good programming takes a lot of time. And even if it's just, it, you know, if it's kids making it, you know, I think that, you know, the kids who are thoughtful are going to do better work than kids who just, you know, you know, slam things together. Um, I think, you know, to our point earlier, it will come from different places, unexpected places. You know, people were when I when I said I was going to do a lingo and that I'd be making content, people were like, wait, what? And and so I think you will see programming coming from a lot more uh, unexpected places. So there'll be more programming overall, much like the adult world where there's a ton of programming. So what does that all mean? I, I have wondered if at some point there will be the observation that there's just too much. You know, I think people will start to have to get out of it because they're not able to keep up you know, with the, with the volume, I think that, um, or, or maybe companies will start to merge a little bit to, you know, sort of, but I, I think that, um, you know, there, there, if it, if it becomes, you know, an excellent way to make a lot of money, then, you know, people will put more money into it, but historically kids programming has not been, uh, the way that everybody gets rich. It's the way that some people get rich, but, um, you know, it's not the way that everybody gets rich. And, and you know, there have been a couple of shows out there that have come along that seem pretty simple and, and you know, not particularly notable, and they've done incredibly well. Yeah. And, and, you know, that made me think, you know, are people going to look at that and say, oh, I actually don't need to work that hard at this if something so simple can be so successful. And I have wondered if people are just going to say, yeah, I'm not going to try so hard anymore. I'm just going to, you know, like, I, th- I mean, I think it's together. I, th- I think it's kind of, it's, it's always fascinating to see what stuff kind of um, lands with an audience. And sometimes it's, it's, sometimes it's not the kind of thing that the actual industry or your peers kind of particularly right. It just finds a yeah. way in which it resonates yeah. with you. And right. what, what excites us about just kind of as observers in terms of Duolingo's role is that you're seeing people like Netflix um, dip their toe into doing interactive content where the, the, the viewer will be able to kind of in some ways kind of disrupt or influence the narrative. Um, but it feels like kind of bedded into sort of the DNA of Duolingo is this kind of incredibly personal relationship between the user and the content and the characters. So it feels like Duolingo is very well placed to kind of, to to really be at the vanguard of that. Yes, yes. And I, I think what excites me is the knowledge that there's, you know, an entire floor in a big building uh, in Pittsburgh of learning scientists who yeah. are thinking deeply about how people learn, and about how to do what they're doing. It's it's not just, you know, some people who stumbled into this. People are thinking mm. deeply and sincerely about how to make the process of learning a really positive and fun experience. Yeah. And and that always gives me the um, you know, the comfort of knowing that, you know, what we're doing is it's well thought out, it's scientifically considered. 
uh, it's tested, it's, um, you know, the, the viewer, the user, very important in this culture and, and doing the right thing is very important. And the uh, entire company, you know, from the very top, right, from the, the, you know, the, the, the CEO who thought this idea up all the way down, um, you know, it's very, very user oriented and sincere in what it's trying to do. And I, I think when you have that, it, you know, it's going to work. It's, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, I think it, you know, it, it's, it's companies who are just kind of slamming things together and hoping that they work. You know, I think it's a little harder when, when that happens, but I think that, you know, Duolingo is in it for the long haul and, um, you know, because it's a, an engineering company too, you know, there's, there's this constant sense of how can we do this better? How can we try new things and, and, and get them to work? And it's all in support of people learning things, Mm. people internationally being curious and wanting to know more and wanting to know, you know, how to speak different languages and, uh, and, you know, so much thought's been put into, okay, what are the fun ways to learn? I had always wanted to do a show that taught Spanish to kids, and I never could figure out how to make it work. And then when I saw Duolingo, I thought, well, okay, that's why I couldn't get it to work. That's not the right medium. That's not the right platform for learning yeah. language. This is the right platform. But so many people over the years have said to me, I learned to speak English from watching Cartoon Network in English, or I learned to watch, I learned to speak English from watching PBS Kids. And so that's always made me think, okay, content, you know, watching content in another language is a big part of learning a language. And so the fact that at Duolingo, they want to make that content that can help you learn the language. Uh, I think that's, that's pretty exciting because we, we have proof from people that that's how it's worked for them. And then Duolingo is also taking on other topics and figuring out how to, you know, how to teach those uh, in the same way. And And will will you, um, sorry to jump in, Linda, will you work across, because I I know that Duolingo are looking at um, a a math um, app to to do a similar thing. Will you be working across that in your role? Uh, yes, I have been involved with, uh, you know, a little bit of the, the math app and, and they are, uh, you know, what, what they, what they did for the math app was they picked a few people in the company, uh, you know, some of the stars and they said, okay, you all go off and work on this. And, you know, I've been kind of hanging around with them saying, Hey, you know, can I help? And, and, (laughs) you know, and I was looking at some designs for it yesterday and it looks awesome. So I think it's, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be as involved with it as possible because I, you know, I just think what they're doing is so great. And so, yes, hopefully, you know, I've, I've said to them several times, you know, I can, I can help you with storytelling. I worked on Odd Squad and uh, we even brought in one of the, the creators of Odd Squad to do a talk on math and humor which mm-hmm. everybody really enjoyed. And so hopefully I will get to be involved with that and with, you know, other things they're doing, but, but yes, it's like, you know, figuring out how to have characters and how to have stories while having, you know, the actual content uh, that, you know, that's very much a part of how they do things. So hopefully I will be more involved with the math app, but um, you know, I've definitely been hanging out with the math people and sort of watching what they're doing. And it's, it's really 
really very interesting and it, it looks like a, a great app. So, so yes, I think that uh, that is the question, you know, how to have character and story in everything, in everything mm. that learning. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you. I feel, I genuinely feel like we've only just scratched the surface of, of your experience and your knowledge and, and the exciting things that you've got ahead. And we'd certainly love to have you back at some point, maybe when uh, you've uh, got a little bit further down the line in developing your character and narrative around math and come and tell us uh, how we can uh, we can learn with humor, learn math with humor in the future. Um, so thank you very much for joining us today. It's been an absolute joy. It's been inspiring, really good. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. This was really a lot of fun. And uh, I, I enjoy your podcast, so I'm happy to be here. And uh, yes, I would love to come back at some time when, when I've actually done something, <laughs> when I've been there long enough to have you know, achieved something and uh, to earn my owl wings, so to speak. Um, so, uh, so yes, so I, uh, this was great. Thank you for uh, giving me the opportunity to uh, speak at length about these topics and uh, hopefully I'll be back. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you enjoyed the podcast, please rate this episode and subscribe to the series. It would be enormously appreciated. And thank you very much for listening. We really hope that you tune into the next episode. Bye.